If you are like me and know that free enterprise is the greatest opportunity in the world, but you also see there are huge issues starting to arise, like why is mentorship decreasing in popularity? Why do entrepreneurs like us who love to succeed see people fail at the top and never leave true significance? And how do people like us make a lasting impact on the world? And is it possible for enough entrepreneurial leaders together to make a real difference? These are the blaring questions, and this podcast is the answer. Journey with me, your host, Christian. Together, we will challenge the status quo and conquer our legacies. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. My name is Christian D. Evans, your host. And guys, we have someone very, very special. You know, many of us have built businesses and done very well for yourselves. But the reality is, okay, you got past the beginner phase, right? There's tons of content on how to make money, blah, blah, blah. You've got there. Now you're making 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a month in a business. But now it's like, okay, shoot, I got sales. I got leads coming in. How do we worry about the back end stuff, right? How do we figure out the fulfillment, scaling, operations, systems, processes? And so we wanted to actually invite this individual on today because she talks a lot about that. She is she is uh, the founder and CEO of Equilibrium Incorporated, a 15-year-old operations management firm. She specializes in increasing bandwidth for fast-growing organizations via business infrastructure. She also has a BS in chemical engineering from Louisiana State University, an MBA from Tulane University, and a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt certification. Now, her content has over three quarters of a million views, so highly sought after across various online platforms. She also hosts the weekly business infrastructure Curing Back Office Blues podcast. She also is the author of the 2X Amazon bestseller Behind the Facade, How to Structure Company Operations for Sustainable Success. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest, Alicia Butler-Pierre. How are you doing, Alicia? Oh my gosh, Christian, I love your energy. Thank you so much much for that wonderful introduction. I'm doing well. Thank you for awesome. having me. Well, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on because, of course, you know, we were just talking a little bit, you know, uh, intro. There's a lot of t- subjects uh, that are not as intense as this. And obviously, you're making the impact in a very, very high capacity for your business and for your clients. And I'm just really kind of excited to get dive in. But before we dive into that, let's talk a little bit about your your history. Obviously, what what got you from, you know, coming from a chemical engineer to, you know, <laughs> uh, a, a, you know, business degree to all of a sudden, obviously, running running the firm that you have now. What did that transition look like? Oh gosh, you know, speaking of journey, but it's taking, I'll take you on my journey, Christian. So to your point, I, I worked as a chemical engineer. So I was actually making Roundup. Are you familiar with Roundup, the weed killer? I'm not. Okay. Oh yes, yes, okay. Yes, yes. So I was making, I was making poison. And uh, so, so a lot of people, whenever they ask me that question, like how on earth did you go from being a chemical engineer to what you're, the work that you're doing now, building business infrastructure. But honestly, Christian, it's all about process. It's all about flow. So when I worked as a chemical engineer, I was looking at if, if a certain batch of product that we were producing did not meet a certain specification, as the process engineer, it was my job to figure out what went wrong in the process of producing that particular batch to cause it to not be on spec. And so if we look at it from a business infrastructure perspective, instead of looking at liquids, how liquids are flowing through pipeline, right? It's all about understanding how information and work is flowing throughout a company. So to me, it's all about process and flow. 
But I knew it didn't take me very long, Christian, before I realized I didn't want to be in a chemical plant or an oil refinery for the rest of my career. So at some point in my engineer career, I decided to go back to business school. And also a huge part of that decision was that I realized I didn't understand a lot of the business decisions that were driving the day-to-day production schedules. And I know that's something we'll probably touch on a little bit more is, you know, production schedules, being able to meet customer demand. Well, sometimes we may have been told to run at full capacity and literally the very next day we may be told to shut everything down. And then the day after that you run at half capacity. But what were the decisions from a business perspective that were driving those production schedules? And I didn't understand that as an engineer. So I knew I needed to go back to school and learn the language of business. So learning about equity and debt and cash flow and and marketing and and operations management, all of those things, business just opened up a whole new world to me that, that just didn't exist before. So once I completed my MBA, I was working full time during the day as an engineer, going to school at night, working on my MBA. And once I finished, I decided to, (laughs) I quit my job as an engineer and I relocated to, I was in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm from Louisiana. And I made the decision to drop everything, literally quit my job very abruptly and sold my house, relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, where I knew one person at the time. But I just had this dream, Christian. I I just had this feeling that I needed to get out of New Orleans quick, fast, and in a hurry. Couldn't explain it. And six months after I left New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina happened. So when I first landed in Atlanta, I thought I was going to work at Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is headquartered here. We studied them so much in business school. And I, I was really interested in what they were doing. There's so many opportunities there across the board when it comes to business and the different types of things that you can focus on and concentrate on in business. But that didn't happen. And after two months of what seemed to be endless job searching, I decided to redirect the amount of time, effort, and energy that I was spending looking for opportunities to work for someone else and redirect that same time, effort, and energy into creating my own opportunity. So through a period of self-reflection and introspection, really thinking, what is it that I'm naturally good at? And Christian, I've always been very good at organizing things. So my company, Equilibria, actually started as a professional organizing company, believe it or not. So I was in people's homes, organizing their closets, their garages. But here's something that I noticed. Many of the clients that I had, I would say a good 90% of them, it wasn't that they were hoarders, they weren't chronically disorganized people, but they were entrepreneurs operating home-based businesses. And they needed processes, Christian, to keep everything in order. So these aren't disorganized, dysfunctional people. They just needed systems and processes, they needed a business infrastructure to keep everything in place. So that's how I was able to start tapping into my skills as an engineer and start leveraging that with these organizing clients that I was working with. And over time, I shifted the language from 
professional organizing to business infrastructure. And there's the journey in five to seven minutes. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. And to see to see where it came from, literally an organizing company, you know, mm -hmm. you know, organizing the, the stuff to all of a sudden you just kind of develop that into something bigger and better. Now let's talk a little bit about like obviously going that next journey from going from a secure job to going out, out on your own. And I know that that's a no, that's not high pain, right? Definitely organizing, you know, cause and stuff like that at the beginning, but obviously developed into something bigger. But let's talk about that. What did that leap of faith look like? Uh, did you believe in yourself or was there some like, you know, self-esteem and self-issues? Because I think the biggest thing is free enterprise really shows you what you're really capable of as an entrepreneurial uh, you know, journey. What did that look like for you? You have to be really comfortable with rejection. You have to learn to become comfortable. And this is for entrepreneurs in general, right? You have to learn to, how to deal with rejection and still pick yourself up after the fact. You have to learn to get over the, the jeers and the, you know, the, the, the uh, how can I put it? The lack of, I'm trying to think of the best word here, Christian, but it's basic, what I'm basically getting at is there are so many people who through their own fear oftentimes will look at you like, have you lost your mind? Alicia, are you crazy? You're leaving a well-paying job with a steady paycheck, excellent benefits. You have a home that you own, car. I had it, I had it all, Christian. I had a very comfortable life, but there was something inside of me that said there's something else. And I knew I would never have peace peace of mind until I ventured out to see what was on the other side. So many people told me, I remember one person's, I remember this person <laughs> specifically telling me, well, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And my response to him was, well, I'll never know unless I go and look, check it out for myself. So get, you have to shut out the noise. And I'll be honest with you. I think me relocating to Atlanta was very helpful in the sense that I got away from close friends. It, it actually worked to my benefit that I didn't know anybody when I worked here. Um, excuse me, when I relocated here because I didn't have anyone to constantly question what I was doing, remind me of how crazy I am. I came here very much like when we hear of immigrants coming to, you know, coming, going to a new country where they don't really know anyone, you have nothing to lose at that point. So everything was an adventure. And I just soaked up all of the knowledge that I, that I was acquiring from meeting different people, going different places, networking, attending different events. It was all one big adventure for me. And sure enough, one thing led to another. But I also should share with, with your audience I also had to learn how to be very careful about what information I shared with close friends and family, because again, they, they will say things that can really hurt you, but I had to always remind myself, they're oftentimes coming from a place of fear because you're venturing into the unknown. There is no, no trail has been blazed. <laughs> you know, you are, you are putting yourself out there and it's very scary. And the last thing you need is for someone to add on their fear to to you in your in your journey. You'll never make it to the other side if you 
have all of this fear. You have to be comfortable with risk. You have to be comfortable with rejection. You have to learn how to tune out the noise because there will be noise. There's there, there will be more people telling you you can't do it than there will be people who will tell you that you can do it. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that, that does. And, and let me kind of talk a little bit about that as well, because not only, you know, Alicia, are you dealing with your, your friends and family? I think that's really cool that you totally, you know, um, uh, re relocated, but also you're dealing with yourself. And as an engineer brain, let me ask you, you know, because I know engineers, they tend to almost <laughs> overanalyze and analyze and analyze, and that's what they do. And then they never take action, right? right. So how did you overcome that? that I know is probably deep rooted in, in, inside because of course that's oh, just your engineer brain. It absolutely is. Analysis paralysis, right? And and I had to become, I'm so glad you asked that question. That's an excellent question. I have personally had, I've had to learn Christian how to be comfortable with the idea or the fact that you will never attain perfection. I have to be okay with, did I leave it better than I found it? That's how I approach every project now, whenever I'm working with a client, because sometimes things don't, you know, you, you want this client to go all the way and you know they can get there and they just won't do it. You can provide all of these recommendations. You can lead the horse to the proverbial water, as they say, but you can't force that person at the end of the day to drink the water. So I had to learn stop it with this perfection mess. You're, you're going to drive yourself crazy. So my mantra is leave it better than you found it. One of the other things that I've had to, I have to, I still have to catch myself because you're right. That's how I'm wired to, to do the critical thinking and the deductive reasoning and, and analyze something to death sometimes. But I'll tell you what has probably been the single biggest factor that has helped me with that is having a team. Because now I know I can't do everything. I know I should not be doing everything. So as I'm delegating, there's a part of me that still wants to exercise some type of control and, and really almost micromanage, but I know I have to step back. I know I have to take a, a back seat and let this person flourish and do whatever I've delegated to that person. That probably has single-handedly been the biggest, the, the biggest advancement in my own personal development is understanding and knowing how and when to delegate and let people, let them fail because they're not going to do it perfectly, but you, I have to be okay with that. And through a process of mentoring and coaching, People are always going to get better, but I have to learn how to let go so that we can all grow. And, and I appreciate you sharing that because being authentic and sharing that, that struggle, where, where do you think that came from? And at what point did you realize that about yourself, you're analyzing it, and then what did that look like? Because obviously it didn't happen overnight, but who helped you through that and realized, okay, I got to let go and I've got to delegate because I know long-term it's going to stop my growth. So uh, what, did, what did that process look like? Where did that come from, you think? You know what it is? Truly taking a dose of your own medicine <laughs> because this I preach delegation all the time when I'm talking to clients, all the time, Christian. And then one day I was like, you know, 
you need to practice what you preach, Alicia. You need to do the same thing. You've got to stop trying to do everything yourself. This company can never scale if as long as I'm trying to do everything myself. But here's something else that I had to appreciate also. Again, taking a dose of my own medicine, the more you document the way things should be done, the more you document what that final result or that output should look like, whether it's sending an email to a client, whether it's sending an invoice, collecting payment, actually working with the client and, and, and working on a project together, whatever it is, whatever you have delegated, the more you document what that end result should look like once that person has completed that process, the more comfortable you will become in delegation. Because it's one thing to delegate something to someone and say, well, Christian, I need you to do X. But if I don't give you any guideposts, if I don't tell you how or what the end product or the end result should actually look like, going back, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier when I was working as, a, as an engineer, when you, what is the final product? Did it meet a certain specification? Well, I can't know if it's met a certain specification if I've never been told what that specification is. So again, when you're delegating, documentation goes hand in hand with delegation. And that those two things combined really helped me understand and appreciate how to get better at delegation and how to become more and more comfortable with letting certain things go. Wow, wow. And because you're bringing up some really good points because it's like, you know, something I was listening to the other day, it says you have to identify what winning looks like in life. And so what mm. you're basically saying in, the, in a micro scale, you have to identify what this project looks like, what, you, what, what, what the winning project looks like. So yes. then obviously they can skate to that, that winning, you know, expectation or whatever. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think a lot of business owners, they know delegation, 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 but from your years upon years of experience working with clients, what have you found out are like the top limiting beliefs that prevent people from delegating properly? What, 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 those, what do those look like? Some of those limiting beliefs, the, the number one limiting belief is they can't do it as well as I do it. If I delegate this to someone else, I know that person cannot replicate it or that person can't do it as well as I do it. That is the number one limiting belief. Another really big limiting belief is this, this fear of the loss of control. If I delegate this to you, I don't have visibility into it now. And that makes me very uncomfortable. Another limiting, there's so many. <laughs> Another limiting belief that I see is people not having a structure in place to support the delegation. So if you delegate and you're, and you're, you're one of your fears or one of your limiting beliefs is losing control, there are certain things that you can put in place to still have that visibility. You're still allowing that person to do what he or she needs to do, but there's still that, that opportunity for you to have some level of visibility into that as well. But if you don't have, if you aren't using the right technologies and if you don't have some, some additional processes and controls in place, then yeah, you will be very uncomfortable as you're delegating. And I would say 
Hey, one of the, the uh, another limiting belief, Christian, is the, the concern around confidentiality and security, which is a very valid, very real concern, especially now that so many more people are working remotely. It's it's honestly been frightening for me to see, even with some of the clients that I'm working with, some of the sensitive information that people now have in their homes, in their home offices. Whereas before this information was kept under lock and key in a, a commercial building that, that, you know, that the company uh, rents or leases. So that is also a very real, very legitimate, valid limiting belief is this this fear around the you know breaches of confidentiality, security data breaches. So that that is another really big limiting belief. So with those limiting beliefs, then, how do you properly help that business owner overcome those so that they can expand? Because one of my limiting beliefs, as well as I knew delegation, delegation, but I would delegate too fast, too quickly, and then of course it would it would you know shoot my foot off later on, and I get so frustrated. I'm like, this just doesn't work, and blah blah blah. And now I realize that was a lot of my fault. Took ownership, took responsibility, and then developing, uh, and and then also I, I do find you know one of the other limiting beliefs that I found is that people think it's just too much of a too much energy focus, right? But in reality, it might be energy focus on the front end, but on the back end, it'll save you a ridiculous amount of time. So when you're dealing with a client, how do you overcome just those big objections? I mean, that's, those are solid, you know, no, solid you're objections. So you're absolutely you right. That? Those are very real objections. And I think before I, I get into the actual answer to that question, I think we have to kind of give ourselves some grace, Christian, because as entrepreneurs here in America, at least, we live in a very fast paced society. We live in a society of instant gratification. We want it right here now. I want it right now. I don't want it to happen six months later. I want this right now. So what I have to usually do with a lot of my clients is tell them, you didn't build your business overnight. So why do you think you're going to fix it overnight? It takes time. But if we take this big chunk of work that has to be done, in terms of delegation, in terms of building your company's business infrastructure, if we take what could likely very easily be 18 months to two years of work, putting in solid work where you may not see a return right away to your point, but it definitely pays off in the end. If we take that 18 months to two years and we break that up into 45 day to 90 day increments, that's more palatable. That's a lot more palatable. We can actually see accomplishments and achievements along the way. Talk about a journey, right? We can, we can have these specific milestones that we set up along the way in the course of that journey of, of ultimate delegation and getting that business infrastructure in place so that we don't feel as though we're doing all of this work. It's just not paying off. And it's very easy to forget what your starting point actually looked like. Because once you're in the trenches and you're, again, you have to document before you start delegating. Documentation is no small feat. It isn't. I am not going to kid anyone listening or watching this right now. It is a lot of work and you won't see an immediate return. But as Christian just pointed out, the payoff in the end is tremendous. 
when you look at these large companies like Facebook, now Meta, <laughs> or some of, the, some of these other behemoths, they don't scale by accident. They have processes in place. They have a business infrastructure in place. There is a considerable amount of delegation that's taking place, but you don't do it overnight. It takes time. And if you're willing to do the hard work and be in it for the long game and not short-term instant gratification, you will get on the other side and you will be a lot more successful. You'll be able to scale with such ease and such grace. It won't be chaotic. It, it definitely pays off in, in the, you know, in the long term, but it, it's not a short term endeavor, not by any stretch of the imagination. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because see, one of the things I also found is, you know, uh, identifying the 4%, the 4% uh, that, that you as the business owner need to focus on. But let me ask you this, just from your experience, Alicia, because, you know, there, there's, there's, a, there's a point where, okay, I should be doing a lot because I don't have the cash flow and I don't have the ability to, to you know, delegate and outsource. But then it also comes to a point where at what point, I guess, is where business owners now need to focus on, okay, I can't be doing the KPIs. I can't be doing YouTube and Facebook marketing. I got to delegate that responsibility. And now I got to focus on the 4% that create the best result, maybe strategic partners, uh, venture, uh, venture, whatever it may be, like whatever it is, more brand awareness kind of content. What, what does that look like? And what is that? What would you recommend? Okay, I'm at this point in my business. I got a consistent amount of lead flow coming. In. I got cash flow. Now I'm able to look at that next level. Uh, you know, what, what does that look like for you and, and your businesses? So I always recommend, I'm a huge fan of people building their teams in stages or phases. So starting out, you might even be able to get away with having volunteers or interns doing some of these things, unpaid internships, but just so that a college student, for example, just to get the, some work experience for that college student, something that that person can add to his or her resume. You can also outsource, which is I, I think what you've been talking about all along, Christian. So there are leverage tools like Upwork, Fiverr. There's, there's many of them that are out there. You can get access to these top-notch resources and not break the bank you know, in the process. So if you don't have a lot of money to work with right now, but you know that you definitely have to free up a little bit more of your time so that you can focus on the 4% that you're talking about, start with, again, resources like Fiverr.com and Upwork who can create the Facebook ads for you. They can actually manage the advertising campaign. They can create the YouTube thumbnail images for you. Those are all little things that sound like it doesn't sound like much, but if you've ever had to do that yourself, it eats up a lot of time. All of those little different pieces of things that you have to do just to put up a YouTube video, for example. You, you have the video itself. It has to be edited usually. There's, there's usually a, a thumbnail image that's created. You have to give a title, and a search engine optimization friendly title. You have to tag it. You have to give a description. I mean, it's a lot. And people don't realize it because they're just viewing a video on YouTube and they're thinking, oh, I like that. I'll click the like button, may even subscribe. And they don't think they don't think twice about all of the back office stuff that's going on to produce that one video. Outsource that. OK, now, as you start gaining traction, 
We're going to use YouTube as an example because I know you're very popular on YouTube. As you start getting more and more subscribers and now you have advertisers, so you're bringing in more revenue to your business. There is your side hustle because I know that's that's one of your companies, your, your side hustle or your main hustle. As you start making more money, now you can up the ante because when you're outsourcing work to these different freelancers, people who work on a gig base only, they only have X amount of time to work with you exclusively. They're usually working with several other people also, but you're going to get to a point where you need them to do work for you. May, you, you still may not be able to offer them that person full-time employment, but you could say, you know what? Let's work out an arrangement where you will be an independent contractor for my company and you'll work at least 20 hours a week. That's a max. And then you might up the ante again and go from 20 to 30 hours. founders Sorry there we go i think we got that. you back Oh, okay. I apologize. You were, you, you were just saying, of course, obviously, you know, developing YouTube and uh, delegating that and, and go on. I apologize. Go ahead. Yes. No. Uh, sorry about that, Christian. But but the point is some a trap that I find so many, especially startup founders get themselves into is this idea when they think of a team, they automatically think full time employees. And so they, they just they just start to get discouraged because they're thinking to themselves, I can't afford that right now. I just, we just don't have the budget, but you don't have to start off with full-time employees. Again, do this, build your team in stages or phases. And as you start to gain more traction, that's when you can go from, okay, this person does gigs for me. You know, maybe this person spends five hours a week to now this person is a full, full-time, you know, not full-time, but this person is an independent contractor that works for my company. And that person is working at least 20 to 30 hours a week on to eventual part-time employment, maybe even full-time employment where you can now your company is now in a position where it can offer benefits and, and some of the other perks that come along with full-time employment, but don't let, don't let employment or team building be a, a deterrent to your company's growth and ultimate ability to scale. See this, I see so many entrepreneurs fall into that trap and they're stuck in this perpetual state of sole proprietorship. And then if they have the fortune of becoming very successful and having a different type of problem where they have more customers than they can actually handle, a lot of times they're too far gone. It's 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 almost too late to, to start the team building because they have to make a conscious decision to, to seriously curtail everything that they've worked so hard to do just to be able to build out that documentation so that they can delegate and train this team and, and onboard the team. 
So start building, start documenting now. <laughs> For anyone listening or watching, document it now. And when we say documentation, it doesn't have to be that dry traditional standard way of, of writing a standard operating procedure, you know, step one, do this, step two, do that. It could be something as simple as you grabbing your smartphone, pressing record, and just verbalizing how to do something. Download that to your computer, have it transcribed. You can also use Google Voice. You can get the information out of your head and easily onto quote unquote paper so that it can be shared with someone else. You can even record yourself you know, on a platform like Zoom. You could use Loom, record yourself using how to, how to use a certain piece of software, how to perform a particular task on another type of desktop application. The point is, Start getting the information out of your head. Of course, it's not going to be perfect. Starting, but the idea is that you can continuously improve and make adjustments along the way. But get it out of your head. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, and one of the things that I, I really appreciate you kind of, you know, foot stomping is, is first of all, overcoming that limiting belief. You know, for the longest time, I, I kept doing it, doing it, doing it, doing a lot of this stuff. And the reason why is because I thought it was just going to be too pricey. Honestly, I thought it was just going to be too mm -hmm. expensive. And then when I got a virtual setup, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. And then I got, you know, so, uh, someone to look at my KPIs. I was like, oh, that's, and then I just get them to pull my data and give me a, you know, a spreadsheet. I'm like, oh, that. You know, I'm paying them a little bit of money, which honestly isn't that much. It can be all over the world because of these systems, free up, uh, you got, you know, Upwork and Freelance and all those ones that obviously you can leverage, you know, crowdsource people out there that are willing to do it. And so I just think it's really interesting because that's one of the biggest learning beliefs I found. Uh, and then also, like you said, I, I mean, um, making it very simple and easy. So let's talk a little bit about this because see, see and I want to kind of put some of what you said, because I've literally have seen companies that were $80,000 a month. Boom, boom. Then they had to pull back to 50,000, but then all of a sudden what happened? They didn't hit 80,000 again. No, they jumped over to 120,000 a month. Like because they pulled back for a second, they went six, seven, you know, steps forward. And, and then all of a sudden they were just scaling. And the reason why yeah. is because they pulled back for a second to build the infrastructure. And, and we were talking a little bit about this uh, before this podcast. So let's talk about that infrastructure. You know, how detailed should someone get? What are the... Um, what are the categories of the pillars that they should categorize their business in and then focus developing SOPs for each one of those pillars of business? And then obviously building that infrastructure and say, okay, what's the 4% that a business owner should be focusing their time and energy on? What, what does that look like?
I am so sorry about that. Um, I am having major issues. You're, you are perfectly was, fine. It's not allowing me to actually turn my camera on now. So it, it forced Zoom shut down and it forced me to join through the web and not through my oh. actual desktop application. Oh, how bizarre, how bizarre. Okay, I'm, um, I am sorry about all this shenanigans. Do you want to reschedule? Cause I mean, we were having such a good conversation or I do know. you want to keep continuing or what, what would you like to do? Cause it's- It's really up to you because I feel terrible. Um, oh wait, here we go, start my video. Let's see if that works. It's saying my camera is occupied by other apps. Please release the privilege and try again. I wonder if I need to shut down. Let's see, quit Zoom. Let's see if this works now. Nope. Um, let me try now. Oh, okay. there we go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I'm glad we got this figured out. Okay. So okay. Uh, whoever's list, uh, team, go ahead and just cut this last little bit of portion out. And then we're going to start from here. Okay. So Alicia, so, you were telling us a little bit about kind of that infrastructure as well. I love to talk a little bit about that infrastructure and really diving into kind of the, the nit and gritty of, of building a lot of businesses. Because obviously I've heard people from 80,000, bringing it down to 50,000, building the infrastructure. So if you could tell us a little bit about those pillars that when you're dealing with a client and those 4% of things that business owners should be focusing their time and energy that will optimize everything on the back end. So in terms of pillars, there are four main questions that business infrastructure will help any business answer. That first question is what work needs to be done? Second question, who will actually perform that work? Third question, how is that work organized? And fourth question, what are the processes to ensure that that work is done consistently? So one of the very first exercises, Christian, that I always have my clients do is to actually go through this really robust brainstorming exercise. And I don't know if you can, for those of you who have the benefit of seeing this on YouTube right now, you can see that I, I'm holding up three different index cards. Each one is representative of a different task or activity that you need to perform in your company. So this is getting to the answering of the question, what work needs to be done? You wanna get in the habit of identifying every task or activity, again, no matter how mundane or how complex, put each of those tasks or activities onto an individual index card. And by the time you go through that exercise, and I definitely recommend doing this with, if you have the fortune of having a team, definitely go through this brainstorming exercise with your team. You will easily have 200 plus different index cards. The next thing that you want to do, and this is kind of getting into some of the main ways to organize the company, as you were asking, Christian. So in this example here, let's say I have A1, which I'm holding up an index card right now, and it has the, the letter A and the number one on it. I'm holding up another index card that says A3, and then I have another index card that says A2. Now, if you're doing this exercise, whether it's by yourself or with your team, you want to start to group tasks or activities that are similar in nature. Group those into columns. I always do this exercise using a very large table. We're usually in some type of a conference room. This is a low-tech analog way of quickly getting to 
how is this company actually organized and structured on the inside? So once you start to group all of those index cards that have activities that are similar in nature into different columns, you then want to place a blank index card above that each grouping of activities. And you're going to say, or ask yourself and your team, if I had to assign a department to all of these, if I had to assign all of these activities, excuse me, to a department, what would the name of that department be? So in this case, again, I'm holding up index cards that say A1, A3, and we also have A2 here. But now you can see I have a, another index card above that, and it's just called, well, you know what, we're going to call this Department A. Some of the typical departments that most small businesses end up with include marketing, technology, human resources, legal or compliance, some people may refer to it as, there's operations, and there's also, there can also be risk management. There's also accounting and finance. So those are some of the six or seven main buckets that many companies, regardless of industry, regardless of whether you're having, you're operating a nonprofit organization, you're in a government entity, most organizations usually are structured into those buckets and maybe a little bit more. That is the basis for how you're going to structure and organize everything else in your company. So those pillars that you were talking about, let's, let's look at those departments as your pillars. These are the main, if we're laying this foundation, right? This solid foundation of concrete. Now you have these supporting pillars to build your house. Those supporting pillars are your departments. So now that you know the work that needs to be done, all of the, its associated tasks. And I want you to ask yourself in a perfect world, I like to use stick figures. You can see here, for those of you, again, who have the benefit of seeing this on YouTube, you can see here that I have a stick figure and I've written CEO across this stick figure. But the idea, Christian, is to start assigning the name of the role who should ideally perform certain tasks within each department not who's doing it currently. Ideally, in a perfect world, if you had access to all of the resources that you needed, who is the person who really should be performing some of these different tasks? And you want to do that again at the department level. And what's going to happen, especially if you're a sole proprietor, you're going to see just how many hats you're really wearing, just how many roles you are actually performing or functioning in within your own company. And it's eye-opening. It's very visual, and it's a very quick way for you to, to see exactly what needs to be done and just how much you're getting involved with. This is what's going to help you figure out where to start delegating and how. So at this point, you have your departments, you know your people, you have your activities, now we want to start to, to kind of fill in the home. You, you, you're building up, you have your pillars, your solid foundation, you're building up your walls with your people. Now we need to start adding in some furniture and all the other stuff. So once you know the
got cut off again. Um, I'll just pick up where I left off. But the, the idea is now that you have your departments identified, the activities that are associated within each department, and you've identified the ideal resource to perform each of those activities, you're now in a position to create your company's organizational chart. You can now figure out which processes to actually document within each department. You can also figure out what's the best way to physically lay out our workspace. Now that you know your departments, even if you are a sole proprietor, just operating from your home That may be where you have all of your operations related information. The idea is you can guess how to use other tools, how to organize different aspects of your business. You're always going to revert back to those main pillars, your departments, in order to figure out how to best all of the activities that you've identified within each department. And from there, you can start to look at, again, grouping activities even We're going to get through this. <laughs> so you might look at those three activities and say, you know what, if I had to associate these three activities with a process, I would call this process my accounts receivable process. This is our process for how we actually bring money into this company. Now you can start documenting. And again, you're going to have all of your processes associated with each pillar or department of your company. So that's how you start to build in that business infrastructure. Again, it eliminates the second guessing. It eliminates just guesswork in general because you now have that strong, solid foundation. You have those pillars. You have the walls that you've built up. Now it's just a matter of adding in you know, things like your electrical outlets, your, your furnishings, and things like that. But that is how you build your business infrastructure. Well, that's awesome. And, and obviously, you know, from hearing, you know, whoever's listening on this, uh, you know, podcast as well as this YouTube, I really appreciate you going so in depth. But also, I know a lot of business owners are probably like, oh, my gosh, that's a lot. So let's dial this down <laughs> even further and say, OK, how long? of a process should they expect? Like, obviously this isn't going to be overnight, like like Alicia uh, was saying, but obviously that's going to be maybe a, a four month, maybe a, a 30 day, maybe a 60 day kind of goal and then work backwards. And which pillar should they focus first? Like, should they focus on operations? Should they focus on legal or which one would you mm -hmm. say they, or, or is it kind of all at the same time? Uh, what, what does that look like a little bit? 
It really depends because it, it depends on, on a particular company's situation. For some people, they may have a really, for some organizations, excuse me, they may have a really pressing need that's Something that I, I intended to mention as I was describing that exercise, as you start to identify the roles that ideally should perform those different activities, you also wanna make sure that you, I, I like to color code. So any role that is not filled, I always write that role in red. Any role that is outsourced is usually written in blue. And any role that is already, or position that is already filled is usually written in black. That way you have a very visual picture of where are the gaps? Where is the red? So once you focus and hone in on all of the vacancies or all of the vacant positions in your company, you then want to ask yourself, okay, of all of the positions that we've identified, we've identified 20 unique positions within our company. Five of them are vacant. Of the five, how do we prioritize? Where is the highest priority? Where is the greatest need right now? And that's where we're going to focus first. That may also be the driving force behind which pillar you decide to focus on first. Where is okay, that greatest great. need? And, and again, the greatest need can vary depending on the organization and where that organization is at the moment that they start these exercises. So let's, and, and, and I just know a lot of my, my business owners in my audience, I just know that obviously it's like, oh gosh, I don't wanna do that. I'm gonna put that on the back burner. Let's dive into why they should not. Drive in the pain of how much money is on the table because they're not implementing these systems, these processes, and what you have seen because of your clients implementing, doing the hard work on the front end, and and, and embracing that journey. Because only the great and the exceptional businesses are the ones that embrace that journey. So explain, like obviously the results, and really explain to our audience. Yeah, it sucks to do this. Yeah, it's a lot of work. But on the front end and on the back end, how much how much the revenue and how much freedom they are losing because they are not going down that journey. I think one of the most extreme cases is Theranos. The company started by Elizabeth Holmes. She's actually, I think she's still on on trial as of this recording. But it's it's an extreme example of what can go wrong when no one is looking behind the curtain or no one is allowed to look behind the curtain in, in, in their case, when you can't deliver, when you can't deliver either because you don't have the capacity or the people to do it or because in her case, the technology that she purported to have, it just didn't work. When you start to gain the attention of large companies, a, a potential large customer that you could be doing business with, if you have the opportunity to be on a very popular uh, 
syndicated television show, you better be ready. Because what can happen is just from a few seconds of being on, let's say, Good Morning America, that alone can crash your website. Just from you having a five minute interview on Good Morning America. So if you aren't ready, the consequences can be absolutely devastating. Now, a less extreme example is, it's, it's, it's still horrible what happened, but there was, there was a, an ice cream company in Brooklyn, New York. This happened last year. And the CEO of Disney happened to visit this local small ice cream shop in Brooklyn that every, all of the locals raved about. He loved it. He offered them the opportunity to, to open up a location at Disney World in Orlando, Florida. They weren't ready, Christian. They did not have the staff. They did not have the processes to ensure the consistent quality in the ice cream that was being produced, to ensure a consistent experience. And when we say consistent experience, when the customers raved about their experience at their flagship location in Brooklyn, they need to have that same experience in Orlando, Florida at Disney World. They ended up having to file for bankruptcy because they could not keep up with the demand. Why couldn't they keep up with the demand? Because they didn't have the people, the processes, and the technologies to be able to form that foundation that would allow them to scale and to scale sustainably. So again, all it takes, I, I tell people this all the time, most of us are all, only one viral a moment, a moment away from disaster. Think about it, if, if the spotlight is on your business tomorrow and all of a sudden you have all of these, this huge influx of customers or clients coming into your business, can your business sustain that? Ask yourself that honestly. And if the answer is no, start, start putting the wheels in motion now. Don't try to bite the whole apple, take, take little pieces bite off little small digestible pieces of the apple first. I never recommend going in full steam ahead because it's a lot of work and you still have to operate your business. You still have to do the things that you're doing right now to operate your business and keep it afloat. But take, take baby steps. I highly recommend my book because it describes, if, <laughs> talk about detail, all of the exercises that I just described on this podcast is explained in even greater detail in the book. It is a true how-to book. And the way the book is written is written in the form of these short stories that when most people read them, they're like, oh my gosh, this sounds like me. <laughs> how did you know? <laughs> but it's the result of me working with so many people over the years. And so there's six main characters throughout different chapters of the book, and they're each faced with this fast growth predicament where they realize there's no turning back. We're either going to sink or swim, and we have to do something now. And they meet a consultant. That consultant explains in painstaking detail these different exercises to build this business infrastructure. But the book is not intended to be read cover to cover. I recommend reading one chapter, focusing on that for maybe a month to 90 days, 
get that exercise in place, the output of that exercise, and then move on to the next thing. Pace yourself. Don't try to do it all at the same time. But the most important thing that I really want everyone listening and watching this right now to understand is just get started. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have, you're not going to build the whole house overnight. Just take your time, start laying down the foundation now, and you can just continue to make improvements and adjustments along the way. But again, the most important thing is just get started. And that is so true because I, and I really appreciate you emphasizing the pain that it could cause in your life, right? You're not, you know, your opportunities come to your door and you're not in a situation where you can take that opportunity and really scale it. And one of the things I always find so interesting, definitely in this today's culture, like you said, everybody wants to be wealthy tomorrow, right? Or yesterday, right? And everybody wants to build a business yesterday, right? And explode. And they want this quantum leap in more sales and more revenue. But the, the reality and exactly what you're you're asking is, even if a million dollar, a million people came to your door and was like asking for your service, are you prepared for that? Because you also have to think of an abundance that it will come to that. And you got to make sure you prepare and and, and really develop that infrastructure. And, and I love what you just said, how you flipped it upside on its head and said, hey, you know, will it? Are, are you prepared? Right. And like you said, a lot of businesses just they, they just aren't. And uh, I love how you just you had that conversation with, with our audience. And uh, again, Guys, those those links um, will actually be in the description below. You'll be able to go ahead and get uh, access to her book. Uh, if you click on that link right down below there, you can actually click on it. Boom, it goes to Amazon. Buy that and, and consume that. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, at least I really appreciate you just diving in, really, really actually diving into the nit and gritty. I think that's going to be very beneficial for our audience. I know it will be. I know I was taking notes. But uh, before we let you go, is there is how can they reach out to you? How can they reach out to your company, reach out to follow your content and, and things like that? So I'm very act I'm most active on LinkedIn when it comes to social platforms. So please, please connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me at Alicia Butler Pierre. You can also go to my website, my personal website, which is aliciabutlerpierre.com. And when you get there, it's a hub for everything else that I have going on. So if you want to learn more about the consulting, It'll take you to my, my company's website. If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can click there. It also has more information about the book. And also, if you want to schedule some one-on-one -on -one time with me to talk more about this business infrastructure and how you might be able to put it in place at your company, I would love to have that conversation with you. Awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, that those, uh, those links will actually be in the description below. So make sure you click on that. Make sure you reach out. Make sure you read that and consume that and understand it. I kind of follow her on, on LinkedIn and other platforms. And before we let you go again, I just want to say, Alicia, I, I really appreciate you being on here, diving into it. I just love what you were able to do, being authentic and, and sharing the journey and how, how massively productive that can be. And also, I want to emphasize again, one of the reasons, an exit strategy, a lot of people, when they're looking at like selling their company, that's that's what they look at a lot of times is your uh, your, your SOPs, your systems, your process, because th those are assets that are uh, identified specifically for the, that business. And so the value of your company goes up just because that's what they're buying. But also, any before we let you go, any last words of wisdom that you want to share with our audience? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Well, something that I, I shared my first mantra with you, which is leave it better than you found it. But another one of my mantras, Christian, is remember that I don't know if you were told this growing up, but the three R's reading, writing and arithmetic. 
So what I often tell people, because they'll look at me and they're like, oh my gosh, you, you've, you've done so much, you've accomplished so much, how do you do it? And I said, well, I practice the three R's daily. I read something every day, whether it's an article, a chapter in a book, I may even listen to a podcast, so that's not reading, but I'm still consuming valuable content and information. Like I was listening to your podcast, Christian, right before our interview. Writing, write something. Get into the habit of establishing yourself as a thought leader, as a subject matter expert. Leverage platforms like LinkedIn and Facebook that allow you, you know, beyond Twitter and then it's, you know, limited number of characters, but if you have the ability to write longer prose, and a social platform, take advantage of that. Get into the ex, you know, the habit of, of writing about your craft. And then lastly, arithmetic, measure something every day. We were talking about controls earlier, whether it's measuring the amount of money in your bank account or measuring you know, customer satisfaction, whatever it is, get into the practice of looking at the numbers that matter in your business. So reading, writing, and arithmetic, and you will be well on your way. And ladies and gentlemen, that is Alicia Butler-Pierre. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans. Again, share this with your friend, your family, your, your colleague, your, your, your next-door neighbor that you hate. Share it with them because you can bless them, you can empower them, and you can build something remarkable. Until next time.